Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone. It is your host, Adam Childers, here with the podcast Briefly Legal. Brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Well, everyone out there, it's been, uh, you know, a couple weeks since I got to check in with you last, and uh, I've been missing you. Hope that you've been uh, missing all of us. Uh, you know, we're busy as the, you know, graduation season is here and, and summer beckons, which always blows my mind how quickly the the, the year goes by, but um, I've still carved out some time to, you know, visit with one of my law partners uh, here at uh, Crow and Dunleavy about another new and interesting legal development. And this one involves uh, a lot of hard work by uh, members of our firm. So um, let me first start by introducing uh, our guest to everyone. That's going to be Michael McBride, Mike McBride in our Tulsa office. Uh, say hello to everyone, Mike. Greetings, Adam. Hello, people out in podcast land. <laughs> exactly. Well, and you're there in our, uh, uh, you know, our crow's nest in Tulsa, our gleaming, uh, beautiful new offices uh, that uh, we've been talking about. But that's not what we're talking about today with Mike. Uh, instead, what we're talking to Mike about um, is something that he has devoted um, really 30 years of practice to, and that is um, Indian law and gaming. And of course, uh, that that's the reason he's the chair of that particular department, a thriving uh, practice group within uh, the firm. And, and, you know, in visiting with Mike, uh, getting our show notes together today, I, he told me he's uh, actually represented 30 different uh, tribes now across uh, the United States uh, over those 30 years. A tribe a year is what I told him. Uh, I, I'm not that uh, skilled at math, and a lot of lawyers are not, but uh, I can at least do that math. And uh, it's an impressive career that Mike has amassed uh, and, and continues with uh, many, many great years uh, ahead of him. But, um, you know, he... Uh, is immersed in these topics. It's, it, it, as I said, it's, it's his life uh, in, in terms of his professional life. And and today I wanted to have him come and visit with me about something we've talked about, you know, several times, uh, actually in the last uh, couple of years of the show, which um, is another case that at least has implications uh, and draws a line to the McGirt case, the McGirt United States Supreme Court case, which um, had just really um, seismic uh, ramifications for the state of Oklahoma and, and, the, and the many tribes in, in Indian country found in Oklahoma. And there's a recent case uh, that we're going to talk about, which is the Brester uh, case, B-R-E-S-T-E-R, for those who want to look it up and get more details, although I think Mike's going to do a wonderful job of telling you about it today. Uh, this is a case that our firm was directly directly involved in. It's a criminal case. Uh, but again, um, it has really big implications, primarily in this context for the Peoria tribe, as well as uh, the Ottawa tribe. And you'll hear later also the, uh, the Miami tribe. And so it's a, it's a three for one uh, in terms of impact. And, and I don't want to bury the headline. Uh, the, the work done by our team was successful in terms of securing results really comprehensively across the board um, that were uh, favorable to the results that we were we're trying to achieve and and Mike was uh, you know the architect of that effort so I invited him to join me today and talk about uh, 
all of these issues so we can understand them in greater detail. So, so Mike, let's dive into this. You know, before we talk about the Brester case in particular, let's just, just remind our audience they've heard it before if they've listened to our McGirt case uh, analysis in the past. But, but just remind us uh, a little bit about the McGirt case handed down by the United States Supreme Court and what it stood for. I think it'll give us a nice predicate for then having this discussion about uh, what happened in Brester. Well, the McGirt case came down on July 6th of 2020, and it was a blockbuster decision that the Supreme Court had actually passed over from one term to another because they couldn't reach a consensus. Um, Actually, Justice Gorsuch had recused on a similar case uh, called Carpenter versus Murphy um, that went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, because of that, they took McGirt. And it had similar issues that involved uh, the Treaty uh, of 1866 between the Muscogee Nation and the United States of America. And uh, it basically carved out a, a reservation that, that um, encompassed all of Tulsa, or much of Tulsa, and uh, about five or six other counties, uh, maybe more, uh, but a, a pretty significant chunk of um, Northeast Oklahoma. And the Supreme Court ruled um, that a reservation just doesn't go away because of um, changes in expectations or, uh, or, or what the, the local populace believes or, or slow erosion through, through various laws that are passed. A reservation only goes away if Congress explicitly says so and cedes that land in statutory text. And that's what McGirt stood for. And and it actually came out of a criminal case. Isn't that right, Mike? It really, the, the issue was if, you know, does the state of Oklahoma get to prosecute, you know, a crime commissioned allegedly on uh, tribal ground or is that, a, you know, federal jurisdiction only, which obviously then, you know, brought into focus some big issues on, on you know, a lot of cases that had already been decided or were in the process of being decided. Is, is that right? That's right. The Muscogee Nation didn't didn't seek out that ruling. They, they didn't file the lawsuit. It, it was really a, a criminal case where someone was trying to get post-conviction relief. And in the case of, uh, of Mr. Murphy, it was life or death. He was seeking to um, stop from being executed on death row. Uh, and then McGirt, uh, he was facing a, a thousand year sentence uh, uh, for um, sexual abuse. Um, but the, the issues involve criminal jurisdiction, and, and the criminal jurisdiction involves uh, the Major Crimes Act, 18 United States Code, Section 1151, and various kinds of Indian country. They could be reservations, they could be allotments, dependent Indian communities. So um, that's how those issues came about. But Indian country jurisdiction means a lot of things to tribes and and it is uh, very important for tribal sovereignty. Oh you're you're right. And and obviously the ripple effect of this has been well gigantic as you know people have watched as as arguments have been fashioned, you know, everything from mineral rights to taxes and and a lot of other issues that are attendant to 
whose jurisdiction is it? And so obviously McGirt has come to stand for a lot of different things um, and, and has spurred, you know, numerous uh, debates, uh, multiple uh, you know, Supreme Court filings and, and, and continues to be, you know, the centerpiece, I would think, of, of kind of um, jurisdictional and sovereignty uh, questions for for tribes all across the United States and certainly here in Oklahoma, which then is a perfect segue then into this Brester case because, um, you know, it sounds like it's been a long time in the making, but as of May 11th, we, we had a, a major decision handed down in it, again, a criminal case, but with um, big impacts uh, for the tribes involved. So take us take us through that case and and kind of how it got to where we're at now and, and, and talk about, you know, what the holding was in that case. Well, let me start with Winston White Crow. White Crow Brester. He is a Seneca Cayuga citizen, and he has a long criminal past, and he has pled guilty to a number of offenses. And the ones that are at issue, for example, in this case, were attempting to elude a police officer after conviction of two or more felonies, first-degree burglary, first-degree robbery, a prisoner placing body bodily fluids on a government employee uh, after former conviction of two or more felonies, assault and battery on a police officer, and, and the, the list goes on. My. So some of those uh, he had already pled to, and he is seeking post-conviction relief, and several others um, he had not pled to yet, but raised the issue that his crimes occurred on the reservations of the Peoria tribe and the Ottawa tribe, and uh, that therefore the, the, Kate, the case all the cases should be dismissed because the state of Oklahoma lacks criminal jurisdiction under federal law. And you said those two different tribal grounds. So did that even include the crimes commissioned actually in, in jail? Yes. Um, where, for example, the, the throwing of the, the bodily fluids, um, that, that happened in uh, the Ottawa County jail. And uh, I, I see. believe that that was within the, the area um, where the courthouse is, and, and that's the Ottawa tribe's reservation area. Uh, but some of the other crimes uh, actually occurred uh, in, in the Peoria's reservation area. So how long has this been, been going on, the actual criminal process then? The, the cases that are at, at issue here started in 2018, and then there were additional charges um, that happened in uh, 2020. And uh, the Judge Baird, the special district judge in Ottawa County, uh, agreed with our position as friend of the court and at the evidentiary hearing that the Peoria tribe's reservation uh, was still in effect and had not been uh, disestablished by Congress. And this is even so that um, back in the 1950s, Congress took, went down another path and chose to terminate the relationship with, with the, the federal relationship with some of the tribes, including the Ottawa tribe and the Peoria tribe. And uh, I believe that was 1956 and 1959, uh, respectively. Um, but the Congress uh, changed policies and went into an era of uh, respecting tribal rights again and, and restoring tribal rights. And in 1978, Congress explicitly uh, re-recognized the federal relationship with the Peoria tribe and the, the Miami tribe, along with others. So I take it that became important to the, the, the McGirt analysis, the fact that that had been restored? 
It did. Um, that was a difference uh, in the, the Peoria and Ottawa cases from the, the five tribes, the Muscogee case and, and the subsequent cases from Cherokee, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Seminole Nation, uh, et cetera. In the uh, Ottawa and Peoria were um, had their relationship briefly terminated, but then restored. And the state of Oklahoma's argument was, well, once that uh, federal relationship was terminated, uh, that also included the reservation. But they could point to no specific language in the Termination Act that said that your reservation is gone. So that's where McGirt comes in, and, and you have to point to the specific statutory text. Now, we've talked about those two tribes that were expressly involved in terms of the places where the crimes were commissioned. But I understand that there's a, a third tribe that at least, if not named expressly, is potentially impacted by this outcome as well. Which which tribe is that? Yes, that was uh, the Miami tribe. Uh, the Miamis came to the Peoria Reservation uh, some years later and uh, entered into a, a purchase agreement and reside on, on uh, a portion of the reservation. And on some BIA um, Bureau of Indian Affairs maps, they, they actually show uh, a partition between Peoria and Miami, but the reservation was never um, uh, partitioned. And the state of Oklahoma tried to tried to make some hay with that, claiming that there was a partition and that uh, and once Congress terminated uh, the federal relationship in the 1950s, that the reservation went away and the Restoration Act of 1978 um, had no um, did not restore the reservation, um, but the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals disagreed and, uh, you know, looked at the language of the Restoration Act and said, no, all rights were restored. And even if the reservation was terminated and, and they didn't really get into that analysis too much, uh, they were restored. And, and so that, that was a, a very important treaty um, recognition again. And that adds to the, the Quapaw Nation that also had their reservation boundaries recognized up in Northeast Oklahoma. And that I think that leaves another five small tribes up, up near Miami in Ottawa County um, that await uh, adjudication on, on similar grounds. And, and you've, you mentioned that, the, you know, your team was involved and I mean, and, and obviously Fantastic job, really. As as I read through the the decision, it, it looks like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we won on every count that we were pushing, you know, for you know recognition and for uh, the outcome that that, that was given. Um, talk about the 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 role that your team played, and I know that um, obviously you had um, support from. Uh, uh, Greg Buzzard, who was, uh, you know, been on the show in the past and was here at the firm and, and uh, you can tell folks where uh, where he is these days. But, you know, talk about, uh, you know, the great success that, that, that you guys had in this case. Greg Buzzard was a, an essential team member and uh, really did a lot of yeoman's work on both the evidentiary hearing where we were the only tribe to um, participate uh, at oral argument. Um, but also before the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals. And uh, he, he did fantastic work and very grateful to, to him. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I know that you're hesitant as many are to, to, to take your share of the plaudits, but I'll do, I'll do it myself. Um, Mike, you're an amazing advocate for, for your, your clients and the, and the outcome speaks for itself. Um, you, you know, I, it really then, uh, kind of segues into the, you know, the final part of this podcast I thought we'd talk about, which is as always, when there's a big holding uh, and a big legal outcome, uh, you know, that it, it, it creates practical ramifications. And for, uh, the, the tribes that are at issue here, um, we've seen with, uh, other McGirt uh, decisions, you know, you have to make a decision about moving forward. Um, you know, what, what will you, what will the tribe do in, in response to having that, that, that jurisdiction and that, um, sovereignty and, and, and really the, the existence of the, uh, of the lands, uh, established. And, and a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, what do you do about a criminal justice code? What do you do about uh, law enforcement? What do what reliance might you instead then place on on federal authorities? Talk talk about the outcomes for the the three tribes involved here. It, it does not create a a vacuum of criminal justice. It just shifts um, how criminal justice will be taken care of. And here, uh, the tribes themselves and the federal government will have. Um, the, the primary uh, role in prosecuting Native Americans that commit crimes on the, the reservation. And uh, there are still some Castro Huerta issues. Uh, and that was a Supreme Court decided, su Supreme Court decision decided last year that said that the state has concurrent jurisdiction over uh, certain crimes that involve non-Indians. Um, but you know, justice is expensive and, and tribes are stepping up to um, bolster their police forces, their prosecutors, their public defenders, their jails or contracts with others to, to house prisoners, their court systems. And all that uh, takes a lot of money and, uh, of course, takes a lot of time. So um, those are uh you know, expensive things. And, and uh, I know that the uh, Ottawa tribe in particular is is ramping up a, a court uh, system and a police force. And I know the, the Quapaws have done that. Like the, the Cherokees and the, the Chickasaws and the Seminoles and the Muscogee Nation. Um, and Peoria, uh, our client is, uh, you know, ramping up and, and studying these issues too, to, uh, best address services um, for citizens and 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 uh, and people that are affected by it exactly and and all of those are you know very personal decisions to the to the tribe and very important ones to be made it's uh uh, I'm so glad to know that you were involved in that process for, uh, you know, one of the litigants involved, uh, you know, here and just in general, a resource to um, really, you know, not just uh, obviously our, 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 our wonderful tribal uh, clients, but really the entire state as the, it grapples to make sure that it, it handles a a subject that has been a tough one, you know, when you, when, when you have discussions about treaties in 1866 and we're uh, analyzing, you know, what to do based on that, you, you know, that this is a complex uh, and dense uh, legal arena. And, and Mike, you do just such a wonderful job of 
monitoring, explaining, and and ultimately, you know, facilitating good outcomes for your uh, clients in, in this area. It's a it's a real feather in the cap to uh, our firm, and 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 something that I'm uh, uh, proud to to say that is a big part of what we do. Um, now, well, well, thank you, Adam. I, I was just going to add that you know this um, Bresser decision is 42 pages with uh, two um, concurrences and dissents. Uh, so it's- again, goes to show, yeah, a lot. There's a lot there, and um, you know that's why I mentioned for you know listeners, uh, it's amazing the number that will have follow up and say thanks so much for introducing me to topic. I've done a d- deeper dive, and that's a certainly a deeper dive uh, to do. And and if you do, you know, like uh, uh, Mike said, there's 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 a lot to read there, and a lot to help understand how you know courts get from point a to b which is um i know that's the 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 making of sausage uh that that it appeals to legal practitioners and some people don't want that much detail but if you do it is certainly there for the the reading and and it's uh and it's a, a good one to better understand all the intricate details of McGirt and the cases that have followed. Now, Mike, we, we're going to come to a close here, but I don't want to do that without um, having our, uh, our our get to know that crow segment of this podcast. And we've got a, we've got a funny one and a, and a apropos one for our topic today, because uh, May 11th, I think, as I mentioned, was uh, the day that the Brester decision was uh, unveiled. Uh, but that was uh, an important day for you and something that uh, is a, a little uh, trivia about you. Tell me what else happened that day for you. Well, um, my wife and I are, are the, the proud uh, uh, parents of a standard uh, poodle, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Gabriella turned one year old on May 11th when that decision came down. And it was also my, my sister's birthday. Well, there you so, go. You you had a you had a great day all the way around, uh, as did the client. Um, the, to to be sure. So, a one year old standard poodle. Now, those are the kind of bigger ones, right? Not just your uh, the little ones. Or am I wrong about that? That's that's right. And and she's in, incredibly smart and agile. And uh, my my wife likes to um, uh, spend money on getting. Uh, interesting haircuts for. <laughs> that's right. They 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 can be molded. <laughs> I, I I draw the line at different colors, though. <laughs> well, everybody has to have a limit, right? We'll we'll see if you continue to <laughs> to win that argument. But well, thanks for sharing that with us, and really, Mike, thanks for sharing of your expertise in 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 all these areas. It's um, uh, again, like I said, a, a benefit really to all those um, who uh, have an opportunity to hear you speak. And I appreciate that you gave of your time today to be on this podcast. Um, so we're going to go ahead and close it out, everybody. And, you know, just want to remind you, our loyal listeners who, who make all of this worth it as we are here in our third year, <laughs> it still blows my mind of, uh, briefly legal, just to remind you that, um, we very much enjoy the support that you provide and one of the best and, uh, you know, ways for that interest to be, um, given is just wherever you're listening to briefly legal, whether it's on Spotify or Apple or, Stitcher or any of the various platforms for the consumption of podcasts, would you be so kind, please, as to give us a rating 
um, you know, I'm hoping that's a, a you know, a, a five star rating, but um, whatever it is and whatever um, you can do to uh, let us know that you're out there listening sure does make a big difference. Our numbers continue to grow. I love hearing from people. Uh, I was at the OKHR conference uh, uh, just about a month ago and was um, I just couldn't believe the number of uh, listeners that stopped by and told me how they make Briefly Legal part of their podcast uh, information world. And so for that, we're very proud and we want to continue to be able to, to do that for all of you. So until the next time that we all gather together and learn about some other new legal development out there, I just want to say thanks for listening and stopping by here on Briefly Legal.